got to talk about the tour and all that, but let's start off talking about uh, the Harmonic Disruptor campaign we got going on now. Harmonic Disruptor is our fifth number one in the world uh, crowdfunding campaign. We very timidly waded into the waters of crowdfunding, kind of didn't really know how we were going to continue to do to UK the band, you know, without signing a record deal. Or I kind of had the idea that, I, you know, I thought crowdfunding was interesting, but we all hated the way these crowdfunding videos look and the way these bands went around doing it, even though it worked for a lot of them. We didn't feel like us begging for money or, you know, doing some stupid funny video where, where we're kind of, you know, making fun of ourselves or whatever. We, we kind of toyed around with all that kind of stuff. Right. And we threw it all out the window. We just walked away. We were like, we're not doing this. We're just not going to do this. We, maybe we just can't be in a band anymore. And I would say it took about nine months or more. We started coming up with the California Noir, you know, concept and what became a double album. And we ended up coming up with this idea of presenting it like a... I don't know, we did like a, a really moody kind of a commercial with the music that we were creating. And we just made this enigmatic, really, really clear shot and, and stuff that, that, you know, content that the band created. We started coming up with a, with a way to do this. It turned out so well that um, we're on campaign number five and they are completely just, I mean, we did $20,000 in one day. Unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. I mean, we've become a crowdfunding juggernaut and uh, it's, it's actually led to us being able to be out on tour again. It's led to us getting huge opportunities like Rev3 and now Jonathan Davis tour. We've crowdfunded, you know, the Time Capsule, which is a four-disc, 64-song set, I believe. Wow. Uh, of material. We did a double album in California Noir, which we're out touring right now. And then we have Harmonic Disruptor. If you like what we did in Orgy and you like 90s, 80s rad heavy industrial and you like e-tune guitars and that the heavier side of what we're doing or what we've done in our careers synth heavy that whole vibe that we sort of brought back in orgy mm -hmm. i think you're gonna love harmonic disruptor and if you want to hear any of it you know let's go to indiegogo.com and you can search for jkhd or julian k harmonic disruptor you can hear three minutes and 50 seconds of music and a really cool kind of commercial that we made for the album to kind of see how we do what we do and it's pretty exciting it is it's a whole new world out there and kind of cool that you you don't have to rely on the traditional model of, of a label you can really do it yourself diy it these days you know it's interesting that that just a small group of fans can can raise more money than we would be getting from even a, a moderate size indie label or or even what a big label would give us it, it, it's it's pretty incredible and there's still benefits of having a label situation. Obviously, if you want to get on the radio, right. tour support, and you want marketing, obviously labels are going to really be able to help you with that. And, and we're not we're not stupid enough to think that we don't need that. Of course, we do need that. But the magnitude of what we're getting from our fans, um, in terms of the connection and the direct support, is deafening. I mean, it's 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 incredible. It's yeah, absolutely incredible. It's it's cool to empower them like that too. 
Yeah, it forms a it forms a unique bond, I think, more than than you do traditionally, like hearing a band on the radio. But when it's a band that sure. you can interact with like that, and you had kind of touched on it earlier, obviously going to talk about it. Really excited for the Revolution Three Tour, which will be in our neck of the woods on uh, Saturday, September first at Glen Helen. And curious for you, is it is it kind of cool or, or kind of annoying, like having a different band play after you each time? Is any of the bands have a bigger backline than the other one, or does it make a difference to you who who uh, uh, plays because they're rotating every single night, right? That's awesome. It's fantastic. I think it's great because, uh, you know, the fans don't know which of these headliners is going to open and who's going to be in the middle and who's going to headline. And it, it, it was it was amazing. We played the uh, East Coast play. So we did the way the way the tours broke up is three kind of up and coming kind of popular, uh, uh, you know, bands that aren't as big as these other bands, like newer bands. It, it split into three, so it's 30 shows. So um, we got 10, another band gets 10, and then another band gets 10. So we got, fortunately for us, we got one of our best markets. We got these codes. So it was really, really great. And playing with uh, with all of our friends, I mean, we know all these bands. We're friends with all of them. So it was it was amazing. And there's some of my favorite bands. And uh, the crowd, I mean, for us, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, we got so much publicity on this. And we literally, I, I would say that the Jonathan Davis tour that we just got with Birthday Massacre, which is going to be pretty much just perfect, perfectly on brand for us. And a full revolution for me, because obviously Jonathan and I started in our first band together, right? Right. So it's, it's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. And Corn signed Orgy. So once again, you know, <laughs> the pendulum swings back and our friends are there for us again and you know, once we, 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 we did all this hard work, we got on this Revolution Free Tour, we kicked ass every night. We played our own shows in between every day. So we've been working our butts off. We gained the respect of all these rad bands and their agents and managers and everyone, everything. And now we're getting all these opportunities. And then our fans, they've always been there. Now, now they have a vehicle to, to, to support us. Um, they're participating too. And it's, it's turning out to be really a really good year for this band pretty awesome i think the last thing left is can we get a song on the radio that's <laughs> really like the the thing we're kind of sitting there going like hmm well, did that happen now i'll help you out that with that as best i can and definitely be playing some tunes and speaking of playing songs on the radio just to have some fun since you're out there with all those guys go and pick a tune from each of the revolution three bands to rock on the radio pick a bush tune for us oh, to play boy. on the radio uh, pick a cult tune uh, pick an stp i love uh cult let me see oh man cult's like one of my favorite bands fire i mean that for me that was like something that you know i'd be on vacation with my family when i was younger you know not not able to drive yet or anything just trapped with my family camping or something and i'd have a walkman and i would play fire by the cult like nice. in my headphones and just you know be under in my sleeping bag so no one could see me <laughs> want to be around anyone you know total punk beginning musician you know kid and uh so yeah fire that was a revolution for me what about for bush and, and let's see bush little thing and that was just for me that's just one of the most pissed off rad tortured artist songs that they've done i actually really like their new single too to be honest with you this is war i, I like that song a lot yeah and and little but things little things that was that was fun to listen to every night yeah. i mean and he gavin plays it I and mean, he performs like like he's a 22-year-old kid. <laughs> and he still looks like he's 22, which is amazing. I know. He kills it out there. Kills it. And the DeLeo brothers, I mean, are you kidding me? 
with their guitar tones. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's wrong. No one should sound <laughs> that big. No one should sound that badass. It's just too much power in the hands of too few. And Ian and Billy still killing it for the Colts. Oh, and- dude, it was so loud. I mean, Ian was great. I know them the least, but super, super cool. I know Amir's good friends with Billy, and Billy was nothing but sweet. But uh, Ian, yeah, I came up, you know, thank Ian for being so awesome to us. And then he turns around, and he's like, it's like ironing his shirt or something like that. And he stops, he turns around, and just gives me the hardest, biggest, longest hug. Uh, uh, the hug of, like, I didn't even know. Like, <laughs> I'm like, well, it's like a 30-seconder. And uh, that's just how sweet he was. I mean, just such a sweet guy. And Billy, you know, we were we were standing back, you know, behind his guitar rig, kind of looking through all his stuff every day because he's another he's another guitar god. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Like the DeLeo brothers. I mean, you can't, like, I go back to them, look at their rigs and just go, wow, you know, this is, wow. You know, I mean, I know Amir and I were really, really well known for our guitar tones and our rigs and the way we made Orgy sound. And we're just as about going and seeing what our idols, you know, use and what our guys, other other band guys are, are doing out there. You know, it's really, really fun. So, great time. You had mentioned it and talking about going down the road with Jonathan Davis. I'm bummed no, no SoCal day, but I had to ask you, yeah, you guys obviously go back. Take me back. Do you remember the first time when, where, how, why you met Jonathan Davis? Yeah, I do. I do. We heard about this guy who could sing like Eddie better. You could get that like grind in his voice. And we didn't, we just had no idea. No one could, could sing like that, you know, in Bakersfield, Taft, California, you know, where, you know, playing music and just, you know, he was living in this like really bad part of town and he was a mortician's assistant. He was like a coroner's assistant. <laughs> so he had this really weird, really weird, you know, job and background and he was this really sweet, cool guy and I was a, I was in beauty college so I was going to be a hairdresser. Ah. And so I started cutting his hair and stuff and started hanging out and partying and, you know, doing drugs and all the stuff that we would do back then. And we formed this band called Sex Art. And indeed, John could, like, he could sing with that voice that he has right now. And I had never heard anyone that could really sing. You know, he sang and it sounded like, it like it sounded like the radio. Wow. And that was my first encounter with, you know, Chester would be like another one where yeah. you know, we did Dead by Sunrise. You know, we're sitting in the room with Chester for you know, uh, at least, you know, 13, 14 months, just, you know, having a great time, but also writing music and, and, you know, the studio at my house is very informal. We, we sometimes record vocals just sitting on the couch and it's mean, very <laughs> high end, you know, expensive gear, but, you know, we'll literally just be all sitting next to each other and just sit there and listen to Chester sing and put down, put down vocals and even scream and uh. it just makes the hair on your arm stand up. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when he sings something, it sounds like the radio. That's all I, the only way I know how to describe it. Jonathan was like that. So when he would sing something, it just sounded real. And all of a sudden, the band sounded like a band. Like, it wasn't a joke. I mean, I think that's the first great insight I was ever around. It had a profound impact on me. Profound impact on me. And I, I never knew that any of us would make money and sell millions of albums and all the stuff that's happened. I had no idea. But I did know that that was great and that I had to be that good. I had to be better, you know, at what I do. They kind of set you know, the bar. I just never knew. Yeah, set the bar. He just had that natural talent. You know, I couldn't believe someone could make their voice do that. And he could just do it. And I, I'm still in awe to this day. <laughs> and I'm listening to a solo record the other day. I was playing as we were playing down the freeway in Texas. Well, we're still flying down the freeway in Texas. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> and, uh, 
I was just blown away by this is a solo album. Okay, cool. Wow, really, really good. Like that's my thirty-year friend, John. That's the kid. That's the kid that I gave dreadlocks to in, in Bakersfield, <laughs> you know, and as like a as like a beauty college experiment. <laughs> I mean, that's you know, really, <laughs> you know, it's just I still get kind of blown away by how how talented everyone is and how how successful and how awesome the music is that they're doing. It makes me really happy. Did you have the uh, bagpipes back then too? We would walk up and down. The, the, we, we rehearsed in a strip mall and um, Jonathan's dad had a recording studio upstairs in a rehearsal room so Rick Davis had his studio up there and it was on like I forget the street it's, it was in East Bakersfield okay. and there was like a pizza place next door and there's like just you know it's just crappy strip mall and we would be you know having a good time partying whatever it is and, and we would march with John playing the bagpipes up and down the strip mall and, and just be playing <laughs> the bagpipes and we'd be marching behind them and I mean when, I'm, when I think back at it it just seems like just dumb kids but he was doing that back then he could play bagpipes he could do the whole thing wow that's so great it's amazing that he put it together into like such a cultural phenomenon you yeah. know what I mean really back then it was just like a novelty that we would we would do and goof off and just laugh about it and have fun and <laughs> you know, and I, I love that he turned it into a brand. Absolutely, you know, he turned it into a thing. He made uh, he made it cool. That. That's right, and and brought the kilt in and everything. I, you know, I'm really really fascinated with that kind of thing. When Amir and I set out to do orgy, you know, kind of seeing what 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 Corn did with like street you know fashion and street culture, and kind of ter- mixed it with this new metal, and kind of you know did what they did with the whole look and everything, but but keeping it kind of street. Yeah, I think we knew an orgy. We definitely doubled down on. Okay, we're going to invent something. We're we're going to go Blade Runner. You know, we're going to we're going to create something that and something I love about Jonathan and Corn that they got that they understood it. But Jonathan got what we were doing. You know, I'm really grateful to him because that really helped put us on the map. Obviously, you know, oh, yeah. Corn signing you, taking you on Family Values as your first tour. You know, that's a pretty big leg up. And here we are again, going out in the fall with him. And I'm, I'm just I couldn't be more excited. I'm so happy. Yeah, it's so cool. And and you had mentioned it earlier and, and uh, kind of wanted to talk about it. Being a movie fan, our mutual friend Stephanie said that you're a big Star Wars fan. So I wanted to geek out a little bit and get your thoughts on uh, The Last Jedi. What did you think? Okay, so you just you just opened up the hugest can of worms because I could talk about Star Wars for nine hours. Uh, <laughs> I'm a maniac. I mean, I have lightsabers in my office. I wear Kylo Red mask around my house, like black leather, answer the door with my lightsaber, like for <laughs> packages, it's FedEx. I mean, I'm a maniac. Um, the Last Jedi, for me, it, you know, it's Star Wars. Okay, so I'm going to like it. The Last Jedi was a huge letdown for, for me. Yeah, I, me I too. Feel like, I feel like it's going to take two movies. So we're going to have to break episode nine and a half to fix what was broken in The Last Jedi. There's stuff to like. I mean, for any Star Wars fans going to dig a giant dreadnought coming out of hyperspace. And, you know, I thought Snoke was a really cool character. So I was kind of, I mean, it was interesting that they killed him, but... Way too soon. Really? Yeah. Yeah, way too soon. After I, I kind of wanted to, at this point, I really want to learn about the characters. I want to, what I can say about The Force Awakens was I love the characters, all of them, within 10 minutes. Yeah. I really like, I liked Rey. I liked Finn. 
I like Kylo Ren. I like, you know, even if people call him, you know, emo, Vader, or whatever <laughs> it is, I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. He went way more emo in The Force Awakens. And I don't even mind that as much, but, uh, you know, there was just a lot of, you know, going to Canto by. There's no need to have Benicio Del Toro and, <laughs> and, and who played General Holdo. I forgot her name. There's no need to have these, like, yeah. big stars that are in other things in Star Wars. There's no need to. Yeah. You don't need that crap. And you don't need these throwaway characters. I didn't like the uh, the political correct uh, kind of themes that kind of entered into, Star Wars, into, the, into the movie. I didn't like really any of that kind of crap. I was completely distracted by, you know, what what the heck happened with Finn? I mean, what, what, where did that go? Yeah, that you know, plot line was a waste of time. That was just such a waste of time. Um, I, I was... I was pretty i was pretty distracted by you know the whole luke thing i was just kind of like you know some of it was kind of interesting but he deserved a lot more than that i mean yeah you know star wars is a skywalker story that's what it is don't just kind of at the end of it kind of and by the way i don't believe kylo ren when he said you know you're nobody i actually think she is somebody they're gonna have to fix that i think the fan outrage is probably too much so you know i mean those are my thoughts you know it's star wars so i'm gonna like it i mean frankly i thought solo it was dealt the worst blow by The Last Jedi. I think Solo was... Great! Excellent. Yeah! That, that was my next thing. I was going to say, well, Last Jedi sucked, but Solo was great. I loved seeing him and Chewie and how they met and them forming that bond. I mean, there were a couple holes kind of in the plot line and getting him there and everything, but I was fine with that just to see that relationship and, and with Lando and everything. I thought it was great, but it's sad. You're right. I mean, Last Jedi killed I'll all the see. hype. Oh, yeah. If Last Jedi killed the hype. And, and Solo came too soon. Because when, when you got a maniac like me who knows everything about Star Wars, when I was surprised that there was a May Star Wars, I was like, what? I thought it was going to come out every every December. By the way, they can make a, a Star Wars movie three times, four times a year, and I go see every one of them. Right, but right. Me too. There is a concept called watering down your base a bit. There is, there is something special about scarcity. It's something that us being in a small indie band have to pay attention to very, very closely. And that is, you know, we have a small, tight, highly organized, highly motivated fan base. So we have to be careful about trying to get them to do too much and participate too much in too many things and trying to be, you know, aware of the, the, the financial capability of this small group of people. You know, the only way for us to, to do more stuff is to get more fans and get bigger. Right. Well, Star Wars, you still have to be a little careful because you got to make people, you know, you got to, you kind of can't misfire. And I think last night I was, I mean, resoundingly a misfire. I mean, box office wise, uh, the, the the solo, you know, kind of lack of interest. Yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't, there hasn't been one person that went to see solo that I that they're like, oh, I wasn't even going to go see it, and I sent someone to see it, and they're like, oh, that was amazing, it was totally good, and I was like, yeah, that was a solid Star Wars movie. I hope they don't go in now, and you know, I know Kathleen Kennedy is getting a lot of flack, and I don't know what you know. I look at what she's done, and and I'm, I'm like, okay, three good movies, one kind of not that great movie, and it was, and it's not only not that great, but part of the main trilogies, right? It's a big mistake. I don't know what she had to do with some of the dumbness of it. You know, I'm sure the director had a lot to do with it, but, you know, J.J. Abrams, I love, but he's no finisher. You know, he's great. He's a great fixer, but, you know, you look at the stuff he's done, he leaves things pretty open and weird. And I don't know that the, that the Star Wars needs to be that. I mean, I think we need to, like, get satisfaction. I think everyone needs to be satisfied with this story. That's why they got Lando now in the third one. So that's going to hopefully, hopefully they use him correctly. Totally down with that. Yeah, I hope I hope he's in a rad way. I mean, I was really happy to see Han in, in Force Awakens. I thought that Harrison Ford literally put the role back on like a like it was thirty years, forty years ago. I mean, it was like <laughs> he was flawless 
pass on solo again. I would just pray. Yeah. And I even think this new actor, uh, what's his face? I don't know who plays the new Han Solo, but I mean, talk about the pressure. You know, I, I'm really, I'm really sad that Last Jedi, I think, really, really put Star Wars in a, in a tricky situation. But, you know, it's so big that I, hopefully someone's going to get a handle on it. I think that Disney and what they're doing with Marvel, I think that people are seeing that, you know, you can play your cards right. But hey, Disney just put out Ant-Man and the Wasp. I mean, come on. It was horrible. Yeah. I didn't even bother that with that one. A pile of crap. <laughs> I'm know, glad I skipped it. Like a, oh, my God. It, yeah, I went from a wreck to a limp. I, I mean, it's just a minute. I mean, the first night, man, was, was, was like this huge surprise of like, wow, this is good. Yeah. You know, and then the second one was an absolute pile of crap. So, you know, I guess they're all capable of doing, you know, making some missteps. But, I mean, the Avengers, I mean, Infinity War. Was, that was incredible. Yeah, I like that one. I mean, that was, that was like getting your butt kicked for two and a half hours. <laughs> Finally I mean, let the bad guy win. Was, yeah. I'm like, could this get any better? And then, of course, <laughs> the ending was like, whoa. But, you know, there's another one. Yeah. And I think Star Wars might have to learn a lesson from that. In the nine-part, you know, timeline, it's going to be weird to break it up. But I don't know how you don't. I don't know how you solve the problem in one movie. I just don't know how you do it. Yeah. It's going to be a four-hour-long movie. <laughs> it's funny. You'll appreciate it. We we call, me and my buddies, when we get together, we call ourselves like a Jedi Council. Like, oh, are we going to Jedi Council? We'll get together and hang out and talk oh, smack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I'll, I'll throw. Oh, yeah. you, you can tell. I'm just unleashed when it comes to Star Wars. It can't be shut up. Let me let me kind of spin it a little bit, but one that I'm going to bring up at, at the next Jedi Council and spin it, but same kind of ideas and geeking out. Obviously an 80s fan and probably, I'll go ahead and say it, the best actor of the 80s, hands down comedic actor, Eddie Murphy. So that leads to the question. I just figured mine out the other day. Favorite Eddie Murphy movie of all time. If you had to just pick one. Oh boy. Oh, I'll, gosh. I'll tell you mine to, to give you some time to think about it. But And I came okay. up with this right. realization the other day. I kind of flipping through channels, and it, it was on cable. And I turned it on halfway through and recited the whole movie and annoyed my wife the whole time I, on the I couch. Think I'm, I think I'm going to pick the same one, but go for it. Mine is Trading Places. Oh, God, I didn't even think of that one. Oh, that's a, that is a great one. I was going to say, because of my love of the 80s and, and the music of the 80s and the whole vibe, and obviously the Julian K. Band name is based off of, you know, American Jim, Jim Peters' character. Right. Like, a, like our Android version of that. But I would say Beverly Hills Cop because of Axel S. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that song got me, like, really showed me, like, that a synthesizer can just really almost make, like, a hit. It's like a hit song. <laughs> it I mean, is. Of course, the movie was rad and... You know, it's like, it's, that's such an amazing usage of a sense. I mean, what the? I was playing that thing. I, I think I wore the tape out. Oh, yeah. Wore the tape out. Of course, then I love the movie, of course. So, that Trading Places is amazing. You picked a good one. That, I mean, a good one. I would have to pull up my computer and, like, look. I mean, coming to America is right up there. I mean, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Golden Child, man. Speaking of you guys and and Eddie Murphy, I just had this brilliant idea. Maybe if there's still time on the album. Not Axel F. Not the the theme to Beverly Hills Cop. No, 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 no. You should cover Eddie Murphy Party All the Time. Oh, my God. I love that song. I, I actually really love that song. Dude. Wow. You could murder that cover. That's an interesting idea. That's an interesting idea. You know, and it's funny. I don't know if that would work for Harmonic Disruptor because we're going to go so dark and we're going to go so heavy. 
like, oh my gosh, that could work for, I'd have to figure out how, like what collection that works with and what kind of, uh, you know, artistic or creative kind of frame that works with. That's a good idea. I have yeah. to bring that up to the band after, after we get off the phone. <laughs> That's an interesting idea. Seriously. Because it's a weird idea too. It's weird. It would work and though, man. In a cool way. You can do it in a cool, weird way. Yeah. That's a good idea. Awesome. I'm not kidding. No, I love it. And, and I'm it, not above stealing your ideas. And do it. The one that I bought of it. Do it. Do it. Go for it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to laugh when I hear the record come out. Brian, I appreciate all the time. I just want to bug you for a couple last things here. And you'd mentioned it earlier and obviously wanted to kind of talk to you and I'll pose the same question to you as far as I did with Jonathan. And you'd mentioned Chester. When, where, how, why did you first meet Chester and, and talk about Chester a little bit for us? Uh, it's a great story. I actually, I actually talked about it at his eulogy. We were kind of faced with this incredible problem of like everyone's universe shattered and no one knew why. No one understood how this happened. No one, you know, obviously Amir and I were on tour. We were absolutely, we turned into animals for like a few days. And I mean, I mean, just lost sense of just, you know, the world broke, you know, here we are, we have to fly back home and last thing you you think that you're going to have to do is write your friends like a friend as close as Chester is to to Amir and I you know you have to write their eulogy yeah you know what 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 do you do and and I'm not trying to turn this into a a dark thing because the the idea was let's not you know let's explain what happened because I do have intimate knowledge of of what's going on and what you know how he thought and and the issues that he dealt with and I also have intimate knowledge and stories about how amazing this guy was and how wonderful and funny and loving and talented and delicate and special this dude was. And part of the story, you know, part of my, what worked out really well was how to put a, put a little bit of a smile on people's faces in the darkest, darkest hour ever. I mean, the worst day ever, right? Right. Um, was telling uh, the story of how we met. I, I love, told it a lot, and I, I love telling it because it just shows what a cute, funny, talented, insanely driven, hardworking, delicate dude Chester was. Vapor Transmission, that was our second album. We already had you know, multi-platinum, candy-ass you know, release, and we were, at that point, we were big rock stars. Yeah. We were recording at NRG Studios in, in the Valley. Our, our good friend Jay Baumgartner owns NRG, so that's where we do all our work. And we were recording in Studio A, and they were in Studio B, and they were called Hybrid Theory. They weren't called Lincoln Park yet. I was a social butterfly in Orgy, and Chester <laughs> was the social butterfly of Lincoln Park. And both of us had a penchant for drinking and being crazy and having fun. And so I would, you know, if there's a, studio, a band next door, I'd always kind of poke around and, you know, like kind of see what's going on and try and visit, make friends, and da-da-da-da-da. You know, uh, while we're doing this serious, serious, serious job of being in a band and writing music that's going to change the world, oh my God. And um, Chester's very, very similar to me in that regard, or in many regards, except that I heard someone scream from the studio next door. I could hear this guy, this voice, just giant voice, just yelling down the hallways. And then, you know, singing parts and everything. And I, I just walked over there and I just had to discover where this massive voice is coming from. And this dude with, you know, wiry hair um, and glasses comes around the corner. That's the way 95 pounds. And, he, and he's like, hey, he just perks up like, hey, he like waves at me. And I didn't know this until later, but, you know, we were one of their favorite bands. Uh-huh. So 
you know, he was probably a little bit like, okay, that's Ryan Chuck from Orgy. Wow. Hi. <laughs> so he was stoked like a kid. I mean, I, I was thought I, I literally just was like, that was you singing? He's like, yeah. And I was, I just was shaking my head going like, oh, okay. And we just started talking and I literally couldn't believe it was the same thing as Jonathan Davis. But Chester was just, it was just a league, right? And it was just this little, wiry, skinny guy. And what people don't know is that he lived in Arizona. He was sleeping in his car when they were recording Hybrid Theory. Wow. Okay, this guy had no place to, like, live. I mean, he was out there. He was driving out here and living and just sleeping wherever he could to do his dream. That is that, I mean, that's not... You know, Chester Bennington, right? The, the Arguably one of the best singers of our time, the voice of our generation, in my opinion. Absolutely. Was sweet as hell. Became my friend in, I don't know, probably 25 minutes. We had each other's phone numbers and we're calling each other like, you know, like like friends. And, you know, very shortly after we, we uh, you know, I heard the band, I heard what they were recording, and I told Chester, I go, you know, we're going to be opening for you someday. <laughs> you know, probably pretty soon, and they're laughing, and they're going like, "Oh right, you know, you guys are orgy, you're huge, you sold three million albums." And I'm like shaking my hand, going, "Just you wait." And um, they, we were, they were on Warner Brothers, and we were on a subsidiary of Warner Brothers, which was Reprise and Elementary, which was Corn's label. Right. And so, what happened? We immediately started touring together, and they opened for us. And Disturbed opened for us. That was really funny, right? Disturbed, <laughs> uh, Lincoln Park, and Orgy. Wow. And we did a bunch of touring together. And um, the album blew up. And our album did very well. We were really happy. So there was no, I wasn't scared going like, oh my God. And I told them, I go, hey guys, you know, in a couple months, we're probably going to open for you. You know, this is like a running joke. And, uh, and what do you know? We, we, we finally end our touring together. They go off and they keep doing their thing. We go off and continue to tour and, and do our thing. And we reconnect on radio shows and we play this, I don't know, 15, 16,000 person sold out radio show. And it was, uh, you know, Top of the top of the list, we were probably number three. You know, out of like you know fifteen bands, we we're, we're a big band. Oh we're yeah, Lincoln Park. And I and I ran down the hallways of these giant venues, and I ran into their dressing room. But Chester ran out of his, you know, to find me, and and we were laughing and hugging. I have pictures of that day, uh-huh. and and he, and I go, I told you, dude, I told you. And he was just so, and he would hang out, you know, in our dressing room the whole time. He would just not. It's like he was in our band, and it was so cute. So sweet, and, and that's how we met. And uh, I couldn't say enough good things about Chester Bennington. He is, he is. I will be saying wonderful things about that guy for the rest of my life. The amazing, sweet, sweet guy with, you, with enough talent to, to not be cool. Yeah, seriously. You no, know, he could be a complete jerk, and that guy was not ever a jerk, ever. What do you think he would say is his favorite Star Wars movie? <laughs> Uh, oh boy I think that he would say I think he would say Empire Strikes Back yeah mine too yours too probably right yeah Yeah. mine too yeah oh yeah oh yeah how do you beat that yeah how do you beat that perfect I think he too and and you know it's funny he took me to see the Avengers Um, I didn't know if it was going to be good and he came over to my house and he was like you haven't seen Avengers yet and I go no and he's like what and he's like let's go right now I go really and he's like yeah I go haven't you already seen it he goes come with me right now <laughs> that that was how he was. I've already seen it. It's so good, you know. <laughs> and then I would have to sit there, and he would be looking at me, smiling, 
looking at me like a little kid, meaning for me to go, oh, yeah, yeah, just to see if I would react. Yeah. <laughs> stupid. So stupid. <laughs> That's so rad. Hey, one more uh, Star Wars thing to geek out on. Yeah. When we hang up, Google Galactic Empire. I don't know if you've heard about this. They're a signed, they're a signed metal yeah. band that, that dress up in the yeah, costumes and they it. do all the instrumental yeah. metal versions. <laughs> so good, yeah, man. It's insane. It's insane. <laughs> I know you see that and I'm sitting here going like, why don't I just do that? Yeah, why didn't I think of that? I'm, yeah. Why am I why am I doing my own original music out here traveling all over the world? By the way, <laughs> not complaining. But you know, it's really, really hard. When I could just be playing heavy metal versions of Star Wars, <laughs> I would very, very and probably making money. You know, it's like, you know I mean not that we don't make money, but it's it's like probably a pretty fun way to make money rocking out Galactic Empire songs. Oh yeah. My gosh. What a, well, I want to high five every single one of them. <laughs> well, don't worry that that party all the time money is coming. That, that's going to do it for you. Um, guys. That's it's happening. It's <laughs> happening. It's happening. I'm going to send you if we demo that out. I'm going to send it to you first. I, I should get to debut that. Be the first to play it on the radio. Ryan, thank that you so much awesome. for the time today. It's been a blast talking to you. Dude, you rock. Thanks for checking out the entire podcast. Now just hit the subscribe button. That way you get it sent to you directly. And follow me on social media at MikeZ967. Don't miss the radio show, bro. Wired in the Empire happens every Saturday night at midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks online at kcalfm.com. Adios,